Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Other Job Podcast, a place where we explore all those tasks that are required for building high-performance teams, but we never seem to have enough time to do or to do well. We started this podcast to share learnings from being there and doing that for those who want to go there and do that, and to hear from voices in the industry to, to share their own lived experience. Today, we're joined by Tara Francois, leader of global pre-sales for Smartsheet, who just had their first uh, billion or crossed over the billion-dollar revenue threshold last quarter. So, congratulations, Tara! Thank you, you and I have had an opportunity to work together in the past, and have remained uh, good friends uh, after that as well. In spite uh, of it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Tara. Jeff can't say that about too many people. Yeah, that's right. Chris and Tara, and that's probably about it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we actually want to have a conversation that Chris and I, when we started this podcast, we said we absolutely need to have this conversation. Uh, we need to have it with someone who uh, has lived experience uh, with the challenges uh, and without the irony of two white guys having the conversation. Um, and that is the conversation of diversity on teams. Uh, Tara, you lead and have been a pre-sales professional for a while now which is a historically male dominated profession. You look at pre-sales teams mm -hmm. at a lot of companies and it's all guys. So how have you uh, sort of traversed your career, ended up where you are and, and what does diversity mean to you uh, on your team as you're, you're building your organization? Okay, I'll kind of start a little bit by talking about kind of my past and how I've yeah. got where I've gotten. And then I think we can definitely delve into what I think about diversity and how we yeah. can do better there. Um, so I started my career as an accountant and realized super quickly that accounting just wasn't for me. In college, accounting was great. Everything tied out, everything made sense. Uh, once you actually got in the real world, uh, looking for 25 cents for two hours just made no sense to me, uh, no pun intended. Um, so I very quickly uh, decided it wasn't for me and I moved into a software company who was an accounting software company and consulting. So I was able to use my accounting knowledge, work in software. Consulting is definitely a little more diverse than some of the sales aspects of software. Um, I did that for quite some time. I was traveling incredibly, uh, incredible amount of days, usually Sunday to Friday. I was married. I wanted to eventually have a family and decided, well, I was going to go to the dark side and move into pre-sales. So I moved into pre-sales um, at that company. That company is no longer the same it was before. It's been bought a few times since then. But I moved into a company called Concur, which some people know as Concur. Some people know as SAP. Um, SAP ended up buying them um, after I left, but um, I was I moved there as a pre-sales person. I grew up the ranks there as we grew, started managing that team a little ways into it, and that's kind of where my pre-sales career and leadership career kind of took off. I've done it in a couple other places, small SAP partner. I've worked for NetSuite, which got by bought by Oracle, and now I work for Smartsheet. Started here at Smartsheet about six years ago when we were still pretty small. We were scrappy, and uh, it's been kind of an incredible ride. But um, my basis of experience back in the early days was I was usually the only woman in the room in a lot of these meetings. Um, many times in sales, I was brought to a sales a sales. Uh, call, not because I was there to have a purpose other than to be a woman in the room so that other people didn't think that we were not diverse, um, which just seemed to stand out like a sore thumb to me for the other people, but apparently they felt it worked. <laughs> so Tara, you know, I think a lot of customers value seeing vendors that look like them um, and, and vendors and buying from folks who represent uh, their lived experiences as well. And so that... Uh, that leads us to wanting to build teams that represent our customer base and that's a diverse team. So how do you 
bring diversity as a core characteristic of your teams? Because I watched you do this, right? Um, how do you think about bringing that into your team when you're when you're building the team? Yeah, so I think that one of the things that we a lot of times just don't understand is how different backgrounds, whether it be, you know, whether it's gender, whether it's religious background, whether it's, you know, what color your skin is or how you were brought up, all those things lend to a really healthy team. And the bigger your team gets, the more important you have those other voices uh, in the room. I will say that there was a point in time where I managed at Concur a team of 18 white men. Um, it was just how it happened. It wasn't what I was looking for. I begged recruiting to find me women to interview. Um, back in those days, everybody had to travel when they were in pre-sales. So um, women of the caliber or the, the time they'd been in their seat, uh, their experience level, typically were at that stage of their life where they wanted to have kids, they didn't want to have to travel. Um, so it was extremely difficult to find talent. And um, I, as a manager, a new, kind of a new manager, I didn't know what to do. Things were different back then. This was back in the early 2000s. I'm dating myself really badly now. But um, what I find is that, um, is that once we start talking about it, once we start thinking about it, once we understand what it brings to the table, then we can start having conversations with people outside of just our echo chamber. So whether that be with recruiting, HR, uh, other leaders in the business, people outside your, in your network that are outside of the company you're in. So I think talking about it, understanding what it brings to the table is probably the very first step. Now, there's lots of things we'll probably talk about that I did to kind of make that, take that from 18 white men to you know a team right now, uh, my team that I'm on now, which is about 175 people. We have 35% people of color, 35% women. It's weird, they're both the same percentage, but they are. And it is probably one of the highest in our org as far as percentage. Um, and it was because we were really, really intentional. So Tara, that, that's um, maybe like an oversimplified version of that is like, you just have to start somewhere. Like yeah. you, you kind of have to get the flywheel effect going. Um, it's one of the things that I, you know, I, like to Je Jeff alluded to the irony of us doing this, this episode and I agree, but one of the reasons I was really excited to do it was, um, as I've said with previous episodes, there's a number of topics we cover on this podcast that frankly, I realize in retrospect, I wasn't good at. And if I'm honest, this is one of them. Um, and I think one of the challenges that I finally latched onto was, um, in a in a sense, my network looked like me. And that's probably an obvious statement. Like that's pretty true wherever you go. But I think if folks can just like incrementally change the makeup of their network, the flywheel gets turning on this. And yeah. much like um, customers want to buy from vendors or partners that look like them and sound like them and act like them and what have you, um, candidates want to work at a company where the team at least looks somewhat or sounds somewhat like them and acts like them, et cetera. And so if you can just kind of nudge the the group in that direction, I, I, I think it's incredibly powerful. I agree. And one of the things that finally, when I, when, it, when the light turned on for me was when I finally realized that if you hire managers that look like the people you want to increase your diversity in, so if you hire a person of color to be a manager or a female manager, they're 
friends and networks typically look more like them and they will able to have they'll be able to, you'll be able to like quadruple your network by using their network to find more people to come into your organization and it might not be people they know but people they know who they know who they know doesn't um, kind of back manager, to that commercial right? back yeah, back from the 80s but yeah it doesn't have to be a manager but managers definitely help because they are in, incentivized to recruit therefore their networks are typically pretty large um, but yeah it doesn't have to be managers just hiring people uh, definitely makes a big difference um, I, I know that for me, um, it's important so that that when I when I'm coming to the table with something that I'm looking at things from all aspects. So Jeff probably knows this probably and it's probably one of my downsides as well as my strengths is I I'm a consensus builder. I try to find people that will think differently than me, but try to get them on my side or make sure we're all thinking the same way before we roll something out. So things like diverse hiring. So just an example of one of the ways that I've built my own programs to help because I find a lot of recruiting organizations are not super prepared or able to create programs for diverse hiring. It's very it's hard enough in this environment for recruiters to hire so i'm not trying to downplay how hard their job is but adding on to that a lot of other outside intrinsic things that they don't get to control is challenging so some ways that i've helped um, is i've changed locations of of job openings to places that are more diverse so you know if we're looking for diverse candidates if i'm looking for people of color hey let's go to atlanta there's a lot of great uh, candidates in in that area right if um if I'm looking to find ways to bring more people into the fold, go find places, go start creating jobs that don't require they have a tech background to come into the org. So I started a, an academy program here in my organization that brought in people that had experience. Some of them were college grads, like just got out of college, but the bulk of them were people that want to change careers. I got people that were physical therapists, nurses, uh, counselors at high schools, people that have really interesting backgrounds that can actually bring a lot to a customer um, that we never really think about. But I was able then to go and push the team hiring for those roles to find diverse candidates because I didn't have to fit into a bucket of these people have been in tech, they understand tech, they were brought up to believe they could be in a STEM field, which we know a lot of girls and people of color are not brought up to believe that in high school or, or even earlier. So it allowed us to really open up our ability um, to hire people that look differently than we typically were able to look for. And um, for example, when we had one class of 10 people, nine were diverse. Oh, wow. That's amazing. We've talked previously about the Academy thing a little bit, and I, I'm a huge fan of it because it um, allows you to do what you're talking about. But it, it also allows you to potentially like kind of short circuit one of the, I think, common obstacles to diversity, especially in fields that require like a lot of experience or some formal education around it. Um, like in my line of work in, in enterprise sales, the common job description starts with like, minimum 10 years of experience. Right. Okay, so if you have 10 years of experience in enterprise sales, you've probably been in the tech industry or, or sales for 15 years. Well, to your point, 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of diverse team members. So just by like putting that experience requirement in place, and experience is important, don't get me wrong, um, you're like eliminating a huge, huge number of potentially really great candidates. The academy approach lets you like short circuit that. Like I can teach you everything you need to know right. as part of this program. And so I really admire uh, the work you're doing there. Uh, and, and other companies are following suit. Like it's it's a common thing now, which is great. Yeah, I mean, I'll just give a story. I have an academy graduate. She graduated just a year ago out of the academy. She was a nurse before she came to Smartsheet. 
literally, she's already been already within six months, she was invited to speak on stage at our user conference. This is someone who's been in the role six months. Um, she's works on our vertical team in the healthcare industry. She's created an entirely new set of sub verticals around nursing certifications and how companies can keep track of the nursing certifications. It's a real hard thing for them to do. Um, so I mean, the impact these team members have had are not people that have no experience they come with a different, unique set of skills that we just never looked for before. And, and just, you know, like to, to boil it down a little bit, the, the, the term academy makes it seem very formal and may imply that you need like really robust corporate organizational uh, support resources to make it happen. <laughs> I think the more simplified version of this is I care enough as a leader that I'm going to go develop one person, help them overcome a little bit of lack of hands-on experience or formal education or what have you. And you as a leader can invest and grow in, you know, one person effectively to, to, to go accomplish that. So there is a, a, a kind of minimalist approach to that, a minimal, minimum viable uh, yep. product, if you will, around the academy approach. Exactly. I agree with that. So Tara, why do you think it's just so like, why do you think it's just so hard for organizations to make progress in this area? We talk about sometimes like, is it, is it an incentives problem? Is it like, is it, they don't care? Like all of the data suggests that this is the path to building reliably high performing teams is getting the best candidates from diverse backgrounds outperform those that are homogenous. So why do you think it's so hard for organizations to make real progress here? Yeah, I think for me, from my experience, it's it's a lot of different things. One of them is the fact that recruiting doesn't seem to have programs in place to help with this. Um, there was a leader once that told me it's my as a leader, it's not my job to wait on recruiting to do my job. I'm a recruiter, and that leader was you, Jeff. Yep. Um, so I've learned a lot about you know taking ownership, not relying on recruiting to do some of that stuff, and that was a really good lesson. I've always relied on recruiting. When we're hiring 30, 40 people at a time, managers get overwhelmed. And um, so all I ask of recruiting is, do not do not solely recruit for a diverse candidate, but bring me a diverse candidate into the pool. And then let the leaders make a decision if that diverse candidate's the right person. So I, as a woman, would hate to be hired just because I'm a woman. Like, that's that's not okay with me. But I want to be given a shot. I want to see the table so that I can tell you what I can provide and I can actually have an opportunity to get the job. And that's what I'm asking recruiting to do. And that's what I'm asking my managers to do is always make sure we have some diversity in the room. I will say that, you know, companies spend a lot of money on DEI leaders and DEI programs. And, you know, what I find is that even when we put teeth behind it, meaning even when we put people's bonuses on the line or something else, if you don't have programs that actually outreach outside your own organization, it doesn't work. Um, we have ERGs. I am I am the executive sponsor of the Hispanic ERG at my company. Um, I don't look anything like the people that I'm a sponsor for because I'm the there's not many people at my level that are Hispanic in our company, which is unfortunate. Um, but I'm able to bring a different perspective maybe to the team. But so we're doing a good job internally, I think, at promoting diversity and helping people feel safe and comfortable where they're at. 
Um, but it's those external things. And I will say a big part of it is the problem of, you know, how we get people into the pipeline earlier in their career. How do we get, you know, people of color or, or women uh, into the into STEM fields that might get them more into a, a technology type um, organization. But I think it, we're really good internally, but we're not very good externally. And I've seen that over and over and over again. And I wish I had the silver bullet, but I think this is something bigger than just any company can solve. It's got to go way earlier than what we can do. So we talked, we spent almost the entire conversation so far talking about getting people in the front door. Um, <laughs> yes. But the data suggests that retaining diverse candidates is actually incredibly challenging and they leave organizations at a rate higher than non-diverse candidates. Yep. And so how as a leader do you not only make sure that you've got the right representative candidate pool coming in the front door, but then when you make progress, that progress doesn't walk out the back door. Yeah, I think this is a huge challenge. And I, I know for sure in tech companies, but I'm I'm assuming most companies have this challenge. When you get them in, you got to keep them engaged. You got to make sure they feel safe, that they feel like they have a path to grow. Uh, and if they're the only, you know, pers diverse person on a team, like it's super challenging for them to feel like they have a community. Um, so I do think, you know, employee resource groups are a great way for companies to make people feel they have a community. So, you know, like I said, I I manage the Hispanic one. Um, we have a rainbow collaboration. We have, you know, we have Blacks at Smartsheet. We have one for um, Asia Pacific, you know, so there's a great opportunity to get involved, right, once you're here. The challenge is then how do you as a leader make sure that those people feel special, but not so special that they're different and unique. Also feel like you're giving them the time and attention they need that sometimes is more than someone that's not diverse and that's okay. You have to feel comfortable with that. Um, so making sure that when I have an opening for a manager position that we're looking at all candidates, I don't ever tell someone, even if they're not prepared for the job, I'll never tell them not to go for it because they might surprise me. I might not know something about them. Maybe they've been a manager before in the past. I just didn't know them because I don't know them as well as, and we would find that out in interview process, um, making people feel like they're safe, psychologically safe in, a, in an environment is also really important. So I, you know, one of the things that I, I always think back on is I had this um, incredible um, time to uh, join this company and I went and I and I interviewed with them and it was a really great company it was an amazing job it was a big like promotion from a title perspective for me the company was going to move me to a new place I mean it was very very exciting um, I didn't get to talk to a female leader during my interview process uh, I asked to talk to a female leader. It's a company about a thousand employees. It wasn't tiny. It was pretty big. Um, I asked to speak with a female leader. They didn't have one for me to speak with. And even though it was a great opportunity, I, as, as an outside person looking in, felt like I couldn't grow at that organization if I didn't have a community of people um, that I could go to and, and make sure that I was kind of moving forward in my career. I didn't have any backing. I didn't have anybody that was going to be on my side because we, we were, came from similar backgrounds or similar experiences. And it really, uh, it really made me not take the job, not because the job wasn't going to be amazing. I think it was going to be an amazing job. It was a great experience or a great offer, um, but it just made me feel super uncomfortable. So I always talk to managers when we are trying to hire a diverse candidate, make sure a diverse person's in the interview process. If we're, we have a pe person of color coming in, make sure you have someone that looks like them in the interview if you can to make them know like, okay, this company cares about me. Even if 
it seems panderish, but it's not. It's to make them feel like we care enough about them to make them feel comfortable that we know where they're coming from, if that makes sense. Yeah. And Tara, Tara, like, would you, so pointed question here, like, would you have considered taking that role if the company, let's say the company didn't have a, a, a woman that you could speak with in leadership? If the hiring manager had had addressed that head on and said, I don't have somebody like you, and that's part of what we're trying to solve for, and we're going to go do this, we're going to go fix this, and we're putting a concerted effort behind it. If there had been communication around that versus you just having to find out through the interview process that there was nobody like you? It definitely would have made a big difference. Um, I knew from from my own research that the person they tried to offer the job to before was a male, so I might not have totally agreed with them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or believe yeah. them, but it would have made it, it would have made me think through to go, okay, I can be here. I can blaze a trail for other women. And I probably would have been much more open if they were open and honest with me about what they were looking to do, how are they were going to do it? What kind of opportunities I would have to hire people that look like me or other people. Um, so it, it would have made a difference, Chris. Because there, there are companies out there that, that, that are in that exact situation. Mm -hmm. They don't have a head start on this and they're trying to figure out how to how to make progress. And, um, you know, they need trailblazers. They need somebody that's willing yeah. to say, I'm going to go on this journey with you. I agree. And, and I would have at least listened and, and definitely would have taken a pause and thought about it. it and, you know, I think it would have been a good opportunity for that if I felt like I had the ability to do it. I think, um, I, I want to go back to the, the previous topic a little bit, um, around, uh, the people that we have on board today and, and setting them up for success, um, and growth and, um, and, and, and whatnot. We, we talk a, a lot about like ERGs and, you know, the help from recruiting and, um, uh, terms like psychological safety. Like th these are all like big, you know, kind of, um, meaty topics, if you will. Um, Pivoting the conversation to maybe like, a, again, a more simplified version, like just for a frontline leader new to the role, like what can they do uh, to help on these fronts without the big organizational corporate support? Like, I'll never forget one of the most impactful things that happened to me in my career, and it was actually later in my career rather than earlier, a a, a team member uh, of, of a different ethnicity um, called me and asked if I'd be willing to have a hard conversation. And I said, sure. And the person said, I just want you to know, um, and it could be coincidental, like everybody that you talk about that's doing a good job looks like you. I was floored. Like, of course I was embarrassed, um, but I was floored. Like I, I was super surprised. Um, I, you know, and we had, I don't know, what amounted to a, a, a multiple hour conversation about this. And at the end of the day, this person wasn't asking to be held up on a pedestal and said, you know, told they were doing a good job in front of their peers. To, to your point, they actually would have been, been embarrassed if, they had, if that had happened just because of their skin right. color or what have you. Um, what was more important was the ability to just call their leader or their manager and have an honest conversation about it. Yep. And there are just little things like that that I think frontline leaders can do um, that might feel risky and scary and um, vulnerable at the time, but um, they go a lot farther with your team members than you might think they do. What, I what love else, that story, What other Chris. advice would you give people? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think, first of all, leaders have to be vulnerable. And we don't know everything. We're going to make mistakes. Um, things are going to be scary. Um, so, for example, when the George Floyd incident happened, um, I reached out to every person of color on my team to ask them what they needed. What, did, what do you need now? What is it can I can do for you? I, I don't know how you're feeling. I can't be, I, I can empathize, um, but I don't know what you're feeling inside. And I just want you to know I'm here for you. You can pick up the phone and call me whenever you want. I want to have an open conversation. I might not say anything right, but I want you to know that I'm doing this with the best of intentions to so just try to make sure that you're okay. Um, my kids um, are people, are children of color, they're people of color. Um, so when I got on my next call, I don't remember if Jeff, I think, I can't remember if you were there or not. When I got on my next team call, I talked about the story of their the grandparents and what they went through and how 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 scary it was and that I that I understood at some point like this is a problem that's not fixed yet and it, this only became more and more clear as the George Floyd thing came out right a lot of us just didn't realize how bad it was for people of color in some locations or you know every like they're afraid to be pulled over afraid to walk down the street like there's a lot of things that especially parents of kids of color are just are struggling with today. So I think being vulnerable, opening yourself up to making mistakes, but saying I'm here and I and I want to understand, I think that's super important. Um, I also think just letting them be who they are, like it's okay to be different and unique and not be a cookie cutter person in our teams, like let them know they can be who they want to be and they can share who they are. Um, I feel like, you know, anytime somebody, somebody that I try really, really hard to get on board and they leave, it kills me. So I have a leader leaving right now, a female leader, hired her almost six years ago, one of my first hires here at Smartsheet. Um, really took an interest in her career. I, I helped her every step of the way. Not only I told her, I, I'm really, I'm really thankful not only for all you've done for me, but all you've done for our team, but also you've just been a really good friend and she's moving on to do something different. And while I told her she's getting ready to get married, she wants to have kids. She doesn't know if she wants to be a leader. She wants to just work on her own business and do her own thing. And I told her, I'm like, I hate that you're leaving. I hate it, hate it, hate it. But I love that you as a woman are deciding this is what I want. And even if society doesn't think it's the right thing for me to do or the thing that, you know, that someone in my position should do, I'm doing it because I want to do it. And so we also have to support people, even in decisions that we might not always agree with, support them because we don't know their backstory. We don't know where they come from. I, as a woman, have different needs as an employee, as a man does, right? I have kids. I And even if I have a husband, been um, that that doesn't mean that I'm not the one more responsible a lot of times it's just how life works right everybody's got their own thing so I think anything we can do to be vulnerable anything we do to try to create understanding Chris and I love the story about the person reaching out to you because what that shows to me is that you showed to those people your people on your team that you were open to direct and honest feedback even if it was really really hard and sometimes you got to have those hard conversations to push through and get an understanding of someone else I actually think that they're the best conversations. Like they're the conversations where you make the most progress in your career. Yep, I agree. Yeah. So Tara, as we, one of the things we try to do on, in these conversations is, like I said, we record on Fridays and we publish on Mondays and is, is some of the practical things an individual leader who is struggling, who wants to go make progress uh, and build a high-performing, diverse team. Those aren't separate things. High-performing teams have to be diverse. Yes. Um, is 
what are a couple of things that they can start doing today? Okay, so we'll go back and kind of talk about a few of them and we'll yeah, kind you of covered a couple point of them. for you. Yeah, so, you covered a couple of them, but just like a couple yeah. of things, whether it's, yeah, you've covered a couple of these, but just put a put a bow on it for the audience, yeah. like the things they can do this week. Awesome. So grow your network. Start start pushing outside of your comfort zone and grow your network to other people, um, people of color, women, whatever the case may be. Start growing that, whether that be through LinkedIn, whether that be through going to events, whether that being in your own company. Go and go and like join one of the ERGs if you have a company that has one. You can be an ally. You don't have to look like someone to be in their ERG. It's a great way for you to build your network. Um, start trying to when you start trying to hire people that are diverse, utilize their networks to even increase yours even more. Um, make sure that you are vulnerable and you show to your employees that you are there and you're open, even though you don't understand their lived experiences, it will go a really long way and let them be who they, who they need to be. So for example, um, we have some challenges in our organization where a lot of leaders don't understand that ERG board membership is a really big deal and it's great for the employee, great for the company, great for everybody around. And, but they see this as a time suck out of their current job and they're not allowing their employees to spend a lot of time and energy in this. Um, this is really key. It's really important that people get to, if there's something that they want to do internally, that's going to help the diversity of the entire organization, let them do it. Give them the time. Carve it out. It is super, super important. And then when you do get people on board, make sure that you take care of them. Make sure that you give them the time, the energy, the coaching to feel like they are moving forward in their career. And then the last one, just a reminder, when you have interviews with people that are diverse, make sure that you find people to join that interview. Um, that uh, that look like them and have lived experiences like they do. Tara, uh, spending a half hour uh, covering a really really important topic has really been our pleasure, and we appreciate you you being here and sharing your advice. The organization that you're uh, you know overseeing and growing um, is in no small part because you take uh, this conversation and these topics incredibly serious. So thank you again for being here. Thank Thanks, you so Tara. much. I've appreciated the time with you guys. All Keep right. up the good work. Thank you. Bye -bye.